6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of 1 John, chapter 1. See, the Bible is the ultimate gourmet meal. You will never exhaust the Bible. The more you study it, the more you'll discover. And the more you discover, the more you... It, it, it's an it's a, a inner, inner thing. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. The Hebrew actually is, thy name is called upon me, what it really says. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Some manuscripts here translate our joy rather than your joy. Doesn't matter. It works both ways. Okay? Either way, it's a wonderful truth. Your joy, our joy. Soul winning also is a fulfilling joy. What joy you have when somebody else's destiny and eternity is changed because of your witness to them. Wow! What a thrill that is, as you really, as you really understand what's going on there. My wife and I are getting letters from all over the world with our book, The Kingdom, Power, and the Glory. And it's staggering to find the kinds of letters where People describe that their lives are fundamentally changing because of that book, because of what it draws them into. Praise God. Ye are our joy and glory, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Wow, God is light. That's the, you know, that was the first quote of God in the, in the Bible, isn't it? Let light be is what it actually says. But that's also the basis of our fellowship. We need to understand his terms for fellowship. We're going to later discover that, uh, that God is also love. That's the basis of our sonship. God is light. The Lord is my light and my salvation, the psalmist tells us. God dwells in unapproachable light. Wow. First Timothy 6 and all through the Torah, of course. Let light be is God's first quote in the Torah. The Shekinah, the Holy Spirit, glory, was a cloud of light at night, smoke by day. Light also represents knowledge. And the information sciences we have recently discovered there are fundamental, uh, there are the fundamental behind everything, from particle physics and the DNA to the cosmos itself, that the information sciences. Light is still the fundamental paradox in physics. Is it a light? Is it a particle? It's only a particle when you're looking at it. Really? Yeah. Anyway, verse 3 of Hebrews, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Wow. How interesting. It's exactly what Scientific American quoted in the June uh, 2005 issue, an article. It says if, if the constants of science are changing, and they apparently are, then that implies that our reality is but a shadow of a larger reality. Well, that's what the Bible's been saying all along. They were not made of things which do appear. And the very particles, subatomic particles of which things are made are smaller than the wavelengths of light themselves. And Psalm 19 deals with that on the cosmic. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork, and so on. 
So morally, light represents his holiness. Why? Because light reveals. Light reveals. There is no darkness in God. You know, in the Greek, it's a double negative, but in English, a double negative is a bad, bad grammar. In Greek, a double negative is a way of emphasis. The grammar is a, a different construction there. There is not no darkness in God, is what the Greek says. And in the Greek, that's emphatic. It's a double, it's an, an emphasizing. And James says a similar thing. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variables, neither shadow of turning. And the word variableness in the Greek is the word from which we get parallax. When, thing, when, th when light is collinear like in a laser, it implies that the source is at infinity. And so you can take all the properties of light and see them line up with various attributes of God, strangely enough. But I decided I'd get into that too often anyway. I decided not to detour this. But the variableness is a, is a, a, a parallax or a, a parallel rays from light, which is mathematically at infinity. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth not. That's in the gospel, of course. And also in the gospel, a quote from the gospel, and this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And the word there is agapeo. Men love darkness. I thought, well, anyway. Man, moreover, is unholy. That's the problem. God is holy, man is not. And that is the primary problem all the way through. Secret, I love what Lewis Sperry Schaefer said, secret sin down here is open scandal in heaven. It's very disturbing to begin to realize in our life that when we sin, that's a public display as far as heaven's concerned. That's disturbing. John 8 then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not work in darkness, but shall have the light of life. See, our concept of God will ultimately determine the kind of life we live. If we have a low concept of God, then we will live a low life. Are we surprised as we watch the politicians endure one scandal after another? They're a byproduct of their concept of God. Their worldview won't cut it. If we have a high concept of God, we will be challenged to live a high and noble life. They go together. Look at the kind of leadership of our founding fathers of this country and contrast it with our more recent leadership. Is there a contrast between our founding fathers in terms of their concept of God and the leadership that contaminates our hallways of power today? The unspoken criticisms. Why is it that most Christians are not alert, well-informed, stable, dependable, alive, and so forth? Have you, people don't often talk that way outside, but is that an unspoken criticism? It's too prevalent. Why are so many untrustworthy, critical, harsh, repelling, and negative? If God is light, then he can do all this. Why does it seem to happen to only a few? That's disturbing. The world is tired of hearing extraordinary claims from ordinary lives. John says, verse 6, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. This is the first of three professions that are betrayed by our actions. 
we say we have fellowship in verse 6, if we say that we have no sin in verse 8, if we say we have not sinned in verse 10, these are lies. We're living lies. We walk in darkness. What does it mean to walk in darkness? That's your essay question. Take a pad and you know, give me three paragraphs on what does it mean to walk in darkness? No, I, well, I don't want enough time or have time to read them. It means to walk in sin and disobedience. It means to practice things that are contrary to holiness and the light of God. It's that simple. Relationship puts us into the family of God. Fellowship is experience in Christ. It permits us the life of the family to shine out through us. God is holy. He cannot and will not tolerate sin. If you are living in sin, God will not have fellowship with you. Habakkuk says in the Old Testament, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. That's an attribute of God. A condition of our fellowship is that it must stand in the light of Him, His ways, His terms. When you say you are in fellowship with God, you are saying, I have stepped out of darkness and into the light. That's what Paul deals with in Colossians 1, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. John is attacking a heresy that was rampant in his day. It's also rampant in our own day. People are saying that it was possible to be in fellowship with God and to be in sin at the same time. Amos, back in chapter 3, verse 3, famous verse, can two walk together except they be agreed? It's interesting that when Abraham offered Isaac, when they walked up that hill, the, the, the actual Hebrew says, they both of them went together in agreement. Isaac was probably about 30 at the time. He wasn't the little 12-year-old boy as he pictured in the comic books. And he went knowingly. He went knowingly, strangely enough, in Genesis 22. John is saying that if we claim that we are walking in fellowship while walking in darkness, we're living a lie. Among other things, we misrepresent our Lord. And we also misdirect the lost. Wow. What responsibilities we have when we cause others to stumble. Darkness. Most of us assume that darkness is simply the absence of light. That's not quite an accurate picture. Because in Genesis, the fourth verse of Genesis chapter 1, God divided the light from the darkness. The chosek, the, the very different kind of darkness he's dealing with there, not just the absence of light, something more sinister. There are such, th such things as black holes, dense concentrations from which no light can escape. So light and darkness, darkness is not simply the absence of light. It's not that simple, even in physics. Darkness attracts darkness. And wallowing in it is long enough can make escape virtually impossible. Fortunately, the word virtually is there. So how do you turn off the light if you're walking light? How do you turn it off? How do you go about it? Suppose you go out it. Well, you do it by skipping church. Not meeting, not, you know, neglecting to meet together. That's one way to start. By stopping your daily scriptural reading. If you're not reading a Bible every day, you're going to die of malnourishment. No, I shouldn't say die. You should suffer from national Failing to spend time with Him. We learn of Him through the Word. We gain our relationship with Him in our devotional life. You learn through the Word. You grow in a relationship with Him in your devotional life. 
That should be part of your spiritual nutrition, part of your spiritual hygiene. Failing to take frequent personal uh, spiritual bearings. From time to time, take bearings on your life. How are you doing? You're going to be com- uh, uh, confronted with a report card before the beam of seat. Why don't you take a glimpse and make a guess of where it stands now and see what you can do to improve it. Failing to correct the dead reckoning with periodic reliable bearings. You know, in navigation, you dead reckon, take a certain speed, a certain course. But from time to time, you've got to get a confirming fix because you could be drifting and not know it. You need to correct your dead reckoning with periodic reliable bearings to account for drift. How do you turn off the light? Well, denial also works. Pretending everything's okay That's presumptuous and self-deceiving, of course. I don't recommend it. John says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If I'm going to walk in the light, it means to hide nothing. If I'm going to walk with God, I'm going to have to know his likes and dislikes. It's his call. I don't make the rules. He does. My challenge is to understand His buying habits. Like any good servant, you want to know his preferences and his buying habits. You know, I'm always intrigued. You're in a large organization, big or you're part of a big company or big organization, and the top boss changes. Either dies or gets promoted or leaves the company. There's now a new boss in charge. Everybody in the organization scrambles around to find out what's he like? What's he favor? And they they work hard to find out what his preferences are, you know. And, uh, uh, Well, we should be doing the same thing with our boss. We should be finding out what he likes and dislikes. There's another thing, by the way, that you learn if you've been in a large organization. Watch the boss's secretary. When he calls into the office, do you ever see her go in there without her pad? Never, never, never. She's called, come on in. She'll grab her pad and pencil. She didn't go in there unarmed. Because she knows she's going to get some assignments. And she's going to jot it down, right? When you have your appointment with the Lord in prayer, do you have a pad alongside to jot down the assignments he's going to give you? Why not? Do you take them seriously or not? First Peter, in his letter, says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people. Well, I think we agree with the peculiar people part of it and that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's the same idioms here. In Ephesians, Paul says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, and so on. See, there is a difference between profession and practice. We need to walk the talk. That's what John is focusing on. The cleansing blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. That's all through the Old Testament, that was the huge problem of Judaism after the temple fell in 70 AD. They had no place to shed blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission, there's no temple, there's no shedding. They had to redefine Judaism in the Council of Yamnia. And that's what led to the Talmudic Judaism we see today. Relatively little uh, con- compliance to Mosaic Judaism of the Bible. Now, by the way, this was taught very, very early in the book of Genesis. God took away their skins of uh, fig leaves and gave them coats of skins of animals. Why? Because they're more durable? No, 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 no. He's teaching them by the shedding of innocent blood they would be covered. By the shedding of innocent blood. Without the shedding of blood there's no remission. 
See, the blood is peace-giving, Paul tells us in Colossians 1. It's conscience-purging, Paul tells us in Hebrews 9. It's prevailing. It's cleansing. And, and it's, we're going to go into that here shortly here, how it goes, how it goes on cleansing. So, so in addition to the once and for all redemptive act for all time and eternity at the cross, there's a, blood is, is cleansing. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Wow, that's pretty exciting. That's great stuff. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. See, it's essential to note the difference between sin singular and sins plural. Here in verse 8, it is singular. The genetic defect that is the root of our problem. Sin that is in man, uh, is that, it, sin is that in man, which makes him want to play God on every occasion. We want the world to revolve around us. It is our innate self-centeredness, sometimes called pride, selfishness, self-will, what have you. In verse 9, it's going to follow here, it will be in the plural, the specific fruits of this root problem. He that covereth his sins, in Proverbs 28, 13, shall not prosper. Therein it's plural. Let's not quibble about what is a sin. God has made it clear. Our reinterpretation is notwithstanding. So what should we do with them? And the next verse is your memory verse for the chapter. You're going to get introduced to the Christian's bar of soap. 1 John 1.9. Precious, precious verse. I use it daily. I have to use it daily. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from most of our unrighteousness. No, oh, oh, all, yes, all are. You know, that's a precious verse for a lot of reasons. If we confess, we've got to claim ownership. No excuses. No excuses. The word is confess. Homologeo. To say the same, it means to say the same thing. We need to say it the way he would say it. We are to say the same thing that God says. In other words, we need to take his point of view. What's his point of view about subject X? That's what we mean by confession. We confess our sins. We need to acknowledge our ownership of our sin. We need to commit to forsake it. We don't only confess it. We own it. And we also commit to get rid of it, to put it behind us, to shed the baggage of that commitment. But let's not be general or include conditionals like if we have and all that. Let's be specific and admit the ownership to the entire list. And it may take time. We may need to pray some time and spare because we may have a, quite a list to go through. And let's include forsaking in our prognosis and commitment. The word forsaking is an essential connector with confession. Repentance involves more than regret. It includes a commitment to turning from our sin. And here's the great part of this whole thing. It's not my faithfulness that has anything to do with this. I love this part. What a relief. See, if we confess our sins, if we own it, forsake it, great. He, it's His faithfulness that's operative here. He is faithful and just. Wow. It's His faithfulness that's the key to the whole thing. 
Forgiveness, that's judicial. And cleansing, that's hygienic. He is faithful just to forgive us our sins and, and, not just forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What joy, what comfort is in that phrase? Yes, you'll forgive us our sins, that's judicial. I'm glad, great. You know, that, that enters the log, the, the log book properly, great. Oh, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, that's more than judicial, that's hygienic. Praise God. Christian's bar of soap. 1 John 1 9. That's your memory assignment. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise God. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. You know, it's remarkable to discover how many false cults deny the reality of the existence of sin. They say sin doesn't exist. You know, Christian science and so forth. Christian science, Unity School of Christianity, the religious science, all these groups deny the existence of sin. It's also the prominent, prominent feature of non-Christian religions such as Theosophy, Hinduism, and Buddhism. They all teach that sin does not really exist. Even the field of psychology, they acknowledge that guilt is the core of most mental illness and such. They can only treat the symptom, not the cause. They can try to treat the guilt the source of that is the sin. They have no answer to the sin. That's why psychology is doomed to failure. For a lot of reasons. It attempts to infer the external behavior of an infinite state machine from its external behavior. You can't do that. The only way you can infer its internal behavior is to having a designer's manual in a computer or in a human being. Either way. Sin is the cause. Guilt is the symptom. Sin is the cause. Guilt is but a system. Well, here is your escape hatch. We've talked about your, your, your bar of soap. 1 Corinthians 10.13. I had to tag this in here. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Praise God for that. What a, what a uh, critical resource to add to your memory verse. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Are you making God a liar? Be careful about that one. The practical application of all this is simple and direct. Go to Him and talk with Him as you do as no one else. Tell Him your problems. Tell Him your sins. Be specific. <clears throat> Be specific. Tell Him your weaknesses. I said weakness, but I had to correct the slide. I think it's, I think it's a plural. Lay it all out on the line. Ask Him to forgive, to cleanse, strengthen, and be serious about it. Whenever we sin, we have an accuser, a prosecuting attorney, who demands the death penalty because of our sin. Ooh. Okay. Now, 1 John chapter 2 says we have an advocate to plead our case. We're going to review that. We know we have an accuser. Let's take a look at our advocate next time. So I want you to read the epistle of 1 John. It's only five chapters. But study carefully the first 14 verses of chapter 2 for next time. So you're getting off easy. You've got half a chapter coming next time. And that's the only time I'm going to do that. Okay? So sin need not reign anymore. Sin need not reign anymore.
It ain't going to rain no more. But that's R-E-I-G-N anymore. So study chapter 2. And let's stand for a closing word of prayer. Heavy stuff, really, and yet practical. It's a very interesting mix, because on the one hand, we're going we're gonna to deal with very direct theology on the one hand, but John puts it right where the rubber meets the road in our personal walk. And he doesn't leave us there in a feel, sense of condemnation. He gives us the resources. And right here in chapter 1, verse 9, if you carry nothing else away, make that a memory verse and use it. That's your Christian's bar of soap. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we just praise you for who you are. We thank you that you've gone to such extremes on our behalf. We thank you that even though you're a holy God, that you've provided a remedy for our own faithlessness, our own sinfulness, our own the, the, the innumerable ways that we offend you. We thank you, Father, that you have given us your son to pay our price for admission. That his purity, his holiness, given for us, has provided an eligibility that we could never gain for ourselves, an eligibility to have fellowship with you. Father, we would pray that you would increase in each of us a new hunger, a new appetite for your word, that we might ingest it, that we might... uh, 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 digest it, that we would savor it, Father. And we pray in so doing that we would grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. And Father, we would just pray that through your word and through your Holy Spirit, you would guide us in the days ahead, that we might fulfill your purposes in our calling as we commit ourselves without any reservations whatsoever into your hands in the name of Yeshua, our Lord, our Savior, our coming King. Amen. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the books of 123 John. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store or search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.